Can you remember someone that you knew in the past who has now passed away, but you remember things that they said and things they told you, taught you different things? I imagine all of us, at least all of us who have a few years under our belt, can remember people like that in our past. Uh, maybe it was a, a, a near relative that you really cherished and you remember the things they taught you. Maybe it was a teacher that you had in school. Maybe it was a fellow Christian uh, that you were worked with in a local congregation and they've passed on now and, and you remember some of the great things they told you, just expressions and, and thoughts and, and gave you instruction that you really cherish and always remember. I've told you before about my grandmother. She was quite a, an amazing character, and she was quite a character. But I, for some reason, she stands out in my mind as someone who said things that I always remember. I was reminded of something not long ago when Yancey hurt his back. I remember my grandmother saying to us when we were young, she would say, save your back, save your back. If we were picking up something heavy, save your back, she'd say. Uh, and and I, uh, expressions like that, but also important spiritual lessons she taught us, I remember. And I think all of us remember people like that in our past. This morning, we want to go back to someone who has passed away. We want to go way back in time. We want to go all the way back to Abel in the account that James read for us a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 4. Abel very likely was the first person to ever die physically. Uh, we don't know of others who did at least, uh, but... Uh, Abel stands at least as the first person of record who died. Uh, and so he died a long time ago, but there are things that he did that are reminders for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we're going to be using this as the main text for our lesson this morning. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered and God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Notice, he being dead yet speaketh. And that's what we want to really uh, base our lesson upon. And we'll simply say, Abel is still speaking. And the question, of course, is, are you listening to the, to the lessons that Abel provides for us? That's how we want to go in our study this morning. But before we get into that, we stop for just a minute to add words of welcome. For those that were already expressed, we're glad that you're here. We appreciate our visitors. We want you to come back. Uh, we're encouraged always by the time that we can spend together worshiping God. We hope and pray that he's glorified by what we do this morning. If you have any questions about anything you see or anything you hear this morning, by all means, ask those questions. And we'll get our Bibles out and we'll search for our answers there because we believe that is the perfect guide for our lives and our worship. And we want to be doing everything just as taught in the Word of God. I want you to notice that this word speaketh. Abel yet speaketh. And we don't say speaketh, we would say speaks. If you're reading a new, a newer translation, a newer English translation, it would say something along that line. Abel is still speaking or he still speaks. But that's a present tense verb. And the present tense verb suggests ongoing action. It doesn't say that Abel spoke or in the past he said something or did something. It's a present tense. He continues to speak to us. He's still providing important lessons for us to learn. What is it that he tells us? What are some of the things that Abel is telling us about? 
Well, first of all, I would submit to you that Abel tells us what true faith really is. Faith is absolutely critical and essential to being right with God. You cannot be right with God without faith. I'm afraid, though, that sometimes we have to combat the idea of faith only so much that people might walk away with the impression that we don't believe in faith at all, that we don't think faith is necessary or essential. Because we very often have to combat or debate against the false doctrine of salvation by faith only. But let it be stated very clearly, we understand faith is totally essential and critical to our salvation. We cannot be saved without faith. But having said that, then we learn something important from Abel about what true faith, what saving faith is, the kind of faith that God wants. Abel shows us that when you have faith, you put it into action. Do you notice here? By faith, Abel offered. By faith, he did something. And so here was the basis of his action. But notice, he took action. He offered something in a gift to God, a sacrifice to God. Abel shows us that true faith is a faith that goes into action. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be making a lot of references. This, this statement comes from Hebrews 11. We're going to be making a lot of references to Hebrews chapter 11. And we've pointed out many times in the past that those great characters of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 all did something because of their faith. That's the kind of faith that God wants in us. In James chapter 2, James goes into some detail about that. At the end of chapter 2, he says, Yea, verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now stop there for a minute. I think James is actually throwing down a challenge. And he's basically saying, I'd like for you to be able to prove your faith without doing anything. He says, you show me your faith without your works. And I basically think he's suggesting, here's an impossibility for you if you want one. Show, show me your faith without works. He said, I, on the other hand, I will show you my faith by my works. Because James understood, and by inspiration taught us, that that's the, really the only way you can demonstrate your faith, is by what you do. He goes on to say, you see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Those are very plain statements. We understand it. And this idea about true faith being an active faith goes all the way back to Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. That's the kind of faith that God wants in us. And Abel is still demonstrating that all these many centuries later. Abel also tells us, the story of Abel at least, tells us that God is always watching. Notice that it says here, he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. God was aware of the sacrifice that Abel made. He knew what he had done. Uh, he also knew what Cain had done. And he knew that his sacrifice was not what he wanted. Now, we can put together some pieces of the puzzle and know that God had actually told them the right kind of sacrifice to make. Abel's sacrifice was by faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, we know that God had told Cain and Abel what kind of sacrifice to make. Abel did it. Cain didn't. God knew that. He was aware of Abel's sacrifice. He was aware of Cain's sacrifice. 
certainly as that account goes on, we didn't read all of that, but we know as that account goes on that God was aware that Cain had killed Abel as well. And the simple, simple, simple point that we're making here is that nothing escapes God's knowledge. He knows all that we do. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil. He knew what Cain did. He was aware that his sacrifice wasn't right. He was aware that he killed his brother. He was aware of the evil. We sometimes use this verse to point out, don't sin and think God won't know that your sin has happened. But notice, he is also aware of the good. He knew what Abel had done. And he knew about Abel's acceptable sacrifice. God's, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Yeah, this story certainly tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Certainly the story of Cain and Abel emphasizes that truth. God is always watching. Abel tells us about the nature of true worship. He not only tells us about true faith, he also tells us about true worship. So many times when we talk to people in these days, the apparent acid test for them is sincerity of heart. So many religious people in our day and time think that if you have this sincere heart, that that's really all that matters. And what you specifically do by way of worship is not, not really essential or critical. It doesn't matter so much, just so long as you are sincere of heart. Is sincerity enough to make your worship acceptable? Well, let me ask you something. When you've read that account that James read for us earlier in Genesis chapter 4, is there anything in the story of Cain and Abel that causes you to doubt that Cain was initially sincere in the offering that he, he brought to the Lord? I, I can't see it in the text. I, I, I couldn't say one way or the other, but there is nothing overt in the text that indicates that Cain was insincere in offering the fruit of the ground, the, the, the vegetables and so forth that he may have brought. He didn't bring an animal sacrifice. He brought plants. But I'll tell you, there's nothing in that text that would imply that he was insincere in that effort. So, uh, why was he unacceptable? If he was potentially sincere, why was he unacceptable? Abel, on the other hand, was both sincere and obedient. He was sincere and obedient he was sincere and he followed the rules and his worship was acceptable to God. And so the nature of true acceptable worship is not only sincere, yes, sincere, but also obedient. We make that point so often. We always stress John 4, verse 24. We studied that recently in our Sunday morning adult class here in the auditorium. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You've got to have both parts. You've got to, you've got to have the right heart. It's got to be in spirit, but it's got to be in truth according to God's revealed will as well. Sincerity alone is not enough. It's important, but alone it is not enough. Look at another place where this episode of Cain and Abel is mentioned in 1 John chapter 3, beginning verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Notice this, because his own works were evil 
and his brothers righteous. I think it's really significant that Cain's works were evil. And this is not talking about the murder of Abel, right? This is talking about the sacrifice. It's contrasting Abel's righteous sacrifice with Cain's sacrifice. And notice, it says here that his, his works were evil. To me, that's really significant because those were works offered in worship to God. He was offering worship to God. But it says that his works were evil. Why? Because he didn't do them in compliance with what God had instructed them to do. Now, that, that would bear application to a vast majority of people in the religious world today. They're worshiping. And as we said earlier, they may very well be sincere in their worship, but if their worship is not in accordance with the revealed truth of God, not only is it not acceptable, but it would, it would bear this label. If you're not worshiping the way God told you to worship, those works are evil. I don't think very many people in the religious world comprehend that, but that clearly is what the text says. And therefore, we want to be sure that we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, with the right heart, sincerely, but also in accordance with His revealed will, or else we could be, as Cain, labeled as evil in our deeds. So Abel tells us, he tells us about faith. He's still telling this story. He's still speaking to us. He tells us about what true faith is. It is a faith that leads to action. He tells us that God is observing all these things. And he tells us about true, acceptable worship. The story of Cain and Abel also tells us that obedience condemns disobedience. You know the story. Cain got angry and he killed Abel. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, because Abel had been obedient. And Abel's act of obedience contrasted with his lack of obedience. Abel's obedience, just by contrast, condemned the disobedience of Cain. Do you see that? That doesn't mean that Abel jumped up on a tree stump and started preaching to Cain about how bad he was and how wrong he had done in offering that kind of sacrifice. No. The very fact that he had been obedient and Cain disobedient. Obedience condemns disobedience. That's always been so. All through the Bible, and with all the righteous people of God who've lived through time, this has been the case. When people are trying to live right, those who are not living right will attack the righteous ones because the obedience of the righteous condemns the disobedience uh, of the wicked. That's always been the case. It was the case all through Bible times. All the great heroes of faith suffered those kind of things. And it continues today. That when we keep trying to do what's right then those who are not doing right will cast off on us for doing right. That's just a reality of life. It's always been so. It's, it was so all the way back to the time of Cain and Abel. Another example in Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're, we're basing our text on uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. But we go down just a few verses later in verse 7. It says, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Notice, how, how did Noah condemn the world? By preparing the ark. 
Now, we know that Noah was also a preacher of righteousness. We read that in, in the Scripture. But the very act that he was busy preparing an ark, that's what condemned the world. Noah was obeying God. Noah was doing the right thing. And the people of the world weren't. And so the stark contrast between Noah and his obedience and the world and their disobedience, Noah's very obedience condemned the wickedness of the world. And as we were saying, that same principle continues. It's, it was true all the way back to Cain and Abel. And it's true today, too. In the story of Cain and Abel, we see that our influence lives on for good or for bad. Our influence lives on. Abel's influence lives on. He was a good man. He did what was right. He being dead yet speaketh. His influence is still there, obviously, right? We're talking about thousands of years ago those events happened. And yet... Abel still speaks to us. His influence lives on. But really, influence lives on whether it's good or bad. If I were to ask you about some people that you could call to mind who had a bad influence in the world, well, you might think about some of the really wicked people who've lived maybe even in more recent history, like maybe a, a Adolf Hitler or a Joseph Stalin, somebody like that. You might think of someone in... in uh, even nearer terms, somebody, uh, if you mentioned the name Charles Manson, bad thoughts come to mind. A bad influence lives on. But even in a more direct, personal way, maybe you can remember somebody in your own life who was a very bad influence on you. Uh, and, and maybe you had to overcome that evil influence. Maybe they caused a lot of hardship because of their influence on it, and, and that influence lives on. We know that evil influence lives on, but good influence lives on too. That's the thing we really need to draw upon. Good influence. We think of some of the righteous people of Bible times, a Paul or a Peter and the good influence that they had. But maybe even more direct and personally, can you think of someone, some faithful person that you've known in your life? I hope all of you can remember and we can all think back to some faithful brethren Maybe who've passed away, maybe some that we know who are still living, whose influence is so powerful. But the idea is that influence continues on. And even after you die, your influence will continue on. It, and uh, we need to understand that. In Hebrews chapter 12, now, get the context. So this is the first verse of Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, those chapter and verse designations are arbitrary. Men added those later. So all through Hebrews 11, it's talking about great people of faith and what they did. Right? And then this statement. So ignore that a new chapter starts. Consider it as a continuing thought. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice that we are surrounded. We also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We're still surrounded by them. These witnesses, their influence, all those great heroes of faith of Hebrews chapter 11, their influence survives, and we are still uh, moved by the influence that they had. We've been studying in our Wednesday night adult class about the kings of Israel and Judah. And of course, the first king of Israel, after the kingdom divided, the first king of the northern kingdom, Israel, was Jeroboam. And he immediately led 
those people into idolatry. And they never really quit being idol worshipers until they were finally punished and carried away into captivity. But notice, here's one of the subsequent kings after Jeroboam. It says, Amri did, this is 1 Kings 16, beginning verse 25. Amri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord of Israel to anger with their idols. If I counted right, there's something like 20 or 21 times this expression is, he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the sin which he made Israel sin. That just keeps being repeated. Hundreds of years after Jeroboam was dead, still being repeated that he, that he made this, he made Israel sin. He did this. He got them started this way. And that's the idea of an evil influence which goes, goes on and on. And so influence goes on. It could be a good influence like Abel's or it could be an evil influence like Jeroboam's. You've got an influence too. And it's going to survive your death and it will keep speaking to people for good or for bad. We need to know that. Finally, let me suggest to you, Abel's still speaking. Are you listening? Are you listening to all these truths that his story conveys to us? One of the things that Abel says to us is that there's something after death. It's never really specifically stated there in the Genesis account, but it's strongly implied that Abel his soul, his eternal soul, survived beyond being killed by Cain. If that's not the case, then I would just ask you, what advantage did Abel have in being obedient to God and offering an acceptable sacrifice? If when he died, that was it, and it was over, what benefit did he have for doing the right thing? How did it, how did it serve him any advantage for doing God's will in his life if when he died, it was all over. Clearly, the implication is that he was rewarded by God for being a righteous man. Uh, otherwise, being faithful to God, all it did was get him killed, and there was no advantage. We don't believe that, do we? We believe that there is something beyond the grave, and that, we, that if we serve the Lord, we can receive a reward for him. Go back to Hebrews 11 again. This is the same context of our text verse. Verse 4 was the one that says, Abel still speaks to us. But a little later there, in Hebrews chapter 11, notice it says, beginning verse 13, these all died in faith. Talking about great characters of faith in the Old Testament. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Notice, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Notice right here, God is not ashamed. That's present tense too, isn't it? That's present tense. God is not, right now, He is not ashamed to be called their God. He is still their God. They lived in It doesn't say God was their God. It says God is their God. Even those who died long ago, there is certainly something beyond the grave. And Abel tells us that. Abel's still speaking to us. And the big question is, are you listening? If we could convey just these simple points to people in the world today, what an advantage it would be. If everyone could come to accept these simple six points, we'd be a long way towards settling the religious division and confusion that exists in the world. 
And those lessons come to us from, as we said earlier, very likely the first person who ever did die. And he's still speaking to us today. Have you, are you listening? Have you been obedient to God? Have you become a child of God through obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never done that, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing. Him I freely 